Who's ready for a really long sermon this morning? It's a really long song. Really, I think I think it was Mark Twain who said, "No sinner, no sinner is ever saved after the first 20 minutes of a sermon." And he he's calling for brevity there, and I will try to be brief. But who's ready for a really long theological treatise on baptism? The title of my sermon this morning is A Baptismal Song, and we will be talking about baptism because that is what David is singing about. And so this song is all about the Lord, and you can't take your eyes off of Yahweh in this song. If you take your eyes off the Lord in this song, you will be misled, much like the sacraments. If you take your eyes off the Lord in baptism, if you take your eyes off of his grace, you will be misled thinking baptism is about you and what you have done, and then you will go so foolish as to withhold some of God's people from the water until they have done it. Now, Chapter 21, last week we learned that David, the narrator wrote chapter 21 to remind us that David was a faithful covenant warrior. Now in chapter 22, the narrator reminds us that David was a humble worshiper of Yahweh. And therefore he had direct, he had direct audience with the Lord. We read so much in verse 1, and David spoke to the Lord. The, the, chapter 22 begins with these words, David spoke to the Lord, and the narrator wants you to see David's piety. David spoke to the Lord the words of this song, the sweet psalmist of Israel. When the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, the narrator wants you to see in this psalm that David needed a savior. David was no man without his God. You know, the Bible says a lot about David, and the Bible makes a big deal about David. The Bible shows David as this great warrior, this great king, this great leader in Israel. But this psalm is here to remind us that David was nothing without Yahweh. David was amazing because God is almighty. And David and, and Yahweh was faithful to David. And so David begins the song, verse 2. He said, the Lord is my rock. And my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. Now, I want you to notice all the personal pronouns in this beginning of this song. My and I, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, I take refuge, my shield, horn of my salvation, on and on. David was constantly under threat and God was constantly delivering. David was constantly under threat, and David was constantly delivered by the Lord. I call upon the Lord, verse 4, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from all my enemies. David was saved by Yahweh. David was stripped from death and clothed in God's life. David was stripped from death and clothed in God's life, and that's baptism. You see, in baptism, 
we are stripped clean. And the blood of Christ unites us to himself and we are saved. Verse 5, David writes, for the, word, for the waves of death encompass me, and the torments of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me, and the snares of death confronted me. David doesn't just speak of his misery in this song. He, he wants you to feel it. He wants you to feel his misery. And he uses two figures of misery. These two figures of misery overcame David. The first was the sea. The sea tried to immerse him. Now, Israelites were not very keen on the sea. They were not a sea-bearing people, the Jews in the Bible. They were all familiar with the Red Sea and its immersion tactics. What happens every time an Israelite goes to sea in the Bible? They're either shipwrecked, attacked by Leviathan, or swallowed by a well. They weren't keen on the sea. It was a fearful place. And Sheol needs no introduction. Its place is death. And it too wanted to immerse David in its destruction. And these were metaphors of dangerous people and dangerous situations which David, a man of war, faced his entire life. But he was never overcome. He was never immersed, never fully immersed by the cords of Sheol. He says in verse 7, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I called from his temple. He heard my voice and my cry came to his ears as he was being consumed by his enemies, as the waves of torrent, torrent waves rushed over David with his head barely above water, about to be fully consumed. He cries out to the Lord and the Lord hears. And the Lord delivers and he delivers in a mighty way. Verse eight, the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Now you have to recognize that David was never saved by an earthquake. But that's okay, it's poetry. <laughs> he doesn't merely wanna tell you a fact about Yahweh. He wants you to see it. He wants you to experience Yahweh in his saving fury. Smoke went up from his nostrils, verse 9. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. This is the wrath of God. This is book of Revelation stuff. Apocalyptic. Cataclysmic, terrifying power. And Yahweh's terror was directed at those who would stand against David. He's coming. Yahweh came in power, and you should feel it. He rode on a cherub, verse 11. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him, his canopy, thick clouds, gathering of water. Out of brightness before him, coals of fire, fire flamed forth. And the enemy appeared victorious, David being consumed, the waves of torrents coming over him. He's almost dead. He's almost fully immersed in their wrath. But then comes God. Then comes Yahweh flying in, in the nick of time, in great power and destruction. And in that apocalyptic power of God, Yahweh immersed David's enemies. They were consumed. 
consumed in the fury of his wrath. Verse 16, then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. The narrator wants you to see right here the dry land that Israel passed through in the Red Sea. The breath of the nostrils dried, open bare the, the land as Israel was encamped by their uh, enemy. Surrounded, about to be immersed. Just as Yahweh defended Moses by raising the Red Sea with the breath of his nostrils and immersed the Egyptians, so too David, verse 17, he sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. David had many Red Sea experiences, many waters. That verb to draw out there, a very important word, to draw out. That verb is only used three times in Scripture. Once in our text, once in Psalm 18, which referenced this text, and you know where the only other time in the Bible it's used? Moses, when God delivered them from the Red Sea. And just like Moses, David was never fully immersed. Verse 18, he rescued me from the strong enemy, from those who hated me, they were too mighty for me. David was never fully immersed. God never immerses his people. That baptism belongs to Yahweh's enemies. God's people pass safely through judgment waters. The enemy, however, is fully consumed by those same waters, and they're waters of wrath. 1 Peter 3.20 says, Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians 10 also explains how the Red Sea crossing was a baptism. And the people passed safely through. The enemy consumed. The enemy immersed completely under the waters. It would be very interesting if the Bible pictured God's wrath. If the Bible pictured God's wrath being poured out on Christ in order to save his people. It'd be very interesting if there was a picture of wrath consuming Christ that also delivered God's people. And it'd be very interesting if the Bible called that baptism. That would be very interesting. It'd be mind-blowing, actually. It would actually piece the Bible together. What if the Bible made baptism a picture of wrath and deliverance? What if the picture of baptism in the Bible was wrath and salvation? Judgment, destruction, death, glory. What if? And what if the Bible made baptism all about God? What if? What if baptism wasn't about you? What if it wasn't about your desire to make a stand for the Lord? What if it wasn't about your confession or age of accountability? What if it is about God who delivers? And what if baptism is therefore gospel and not law? And what if 
being all about Jesus Christ, everything in the Old Testament pointed to its reality in the New Testament. And wouldn't it be nice if Paul talked about this in about three epistles and also the book of Hebrews? That would be amazing. But maybe too much. Verse 19. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Israel was cramped at the Red Sea, about to be consumed, yet in cataclysmic fashion, Yahweh immersed the enemy instead and brought his people into a broad place. Now, David didn't literally experience such cataclysm at the Red Sea parting. He didn't have a Red Sea parting event. There were no earthquakes. But David's salvation, though ordinary, was extraordinary nonetheless. And it's the same with your baptism. When you are baptized, you're not going to feel some cataclysmic experience when the waters are poured on you. But amazing nonetheless. Because it is the work of Yahweh. And you can't take your eyes off of Yahweh in the sacraments or you will be misled into thinking it's about you. Yahweh's power and benevolence are found in the sacraments which we must see with the eyes of faith. Verse 21, the Lord dealt with me, he says. The Lord dealt with me. This is very Moses too. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. This is the central theme of, of Torah. The central theme of Torah is obedience results in life. Obedience results in life. David understood the works principle of Torah. Verse 23, for all his rules were before me and from my statutes, or excuse me, from his statutes, I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness, my cleanness in his sight. David understood here that God rewards perfect, perpetual obedience. That's what he's claiming. And he's claiming that God rewarded him. God answered him. God came in apocalyptic fury and power and delivered David because he was perfect, righteous. So the Lord heard his pleas and delivered him in times of trouble. And brothers and sisters, we have to keep our eyes on Yahweh or we will get lost. We will be misled thinking when we see the works principle in Scripture that it is something we must be doing or else. We know that Yahweh is just, verse 26, with the merciful you show yourself merciful, with the blameless man you show yourself blameless, with the purified you deal purely, and with the crooked you make yourself seem torturous. God is just, God is righteous, God does the right thing. You save a humble people, verse 28, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. But how can David... With the blood of Uriah on his hands and his wife in his bed, say to the king, I'm clean. I knew David was a sinner before I started this study, and we all know the Bathsheba story. 
Nevertheless, the statement, man after God's own heart, kind of makes you think, when you start to begin this story, you know he's a man after God's own heart. It kind of start, you start thinking, this guy must be, well, I know he's done some bad things, but he must be better than most. And better than most is really all that matters. But then you study David's life and you see the opposite. You actually see that he's the worst. <laughs> he's actually worse than Saul. Saul does some bad things. David's worse. You think after God's own heart is going to be a story of a good guy only getting better. Bathsheba, of course, Bathsheba, we know Bathsheba. Nobody's perfect, but David was close enough, and close enough is all that matters. That's that inner Armenian. That inner Armenian that begins to say, you know, I know I've done bad things in this life. Nobody's perfect. But deep down inside, deep down in my heart, I know I'm a good person. And church becomes a place with good people trying to get better. But then Christ says, no, out of the heart comes evil. And church is a place of bad people, the worst people, who know they're not good enough who need to be cleansed, who want to be washed, who need a savior. Now, as I was studying this text this week and really scratching my head over David's righteousness here, commentators were quick to rescue David. He's, I quote, one commentator said, not claiming perfection in life's particulars, but wholeheartedness in life's commitment. One commentator said, he does not point to sinless perfection, but life direction. He's not supporting a pharisaical pride over errorless obedience, but expressing faithful loyal via constant, consistent obedience. And I'm like, which David are you? (laughs) Who have you been following? David's very clear in this text. He's saying, I'm blameless, I'm clean, I'm righteous, I've kept all the law. I've done it all. Therefore, the Lord has rewarded me. Rightfully so. I'm reformed, so I read it rightly. And I see a works principle here. I'm not Methodist. I don't believe that David's claiming his own perfection. I'm not an Arminian. I do not believe he's saying God helps those who help themselves. He wasn't claiming Rome's sacrificial system whose sacrifices have covered his venial sins while he hasn't expressed any mortal sins. He's not saying God saved him because of the powerful purpose of his affections or his ability to do his personal devotions. He's not federal visionist. He's not God claiming that God has brought him into salvation by faith. He, he has kept himself there by his good works. This is the same David who wrote and sang, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This is Psalm 32, David, who said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The only answer that suffices the works principle is the righteousness of God whom David has exalted as his savior this whole song long. Do not take your eyes off Christ. This righteousness that he is claiming is an appeal to God through the work of Christ. In baptism, though your sins are great, 
and they are many, and they are wicked. Christ clothes you in his righteousness. In baptism, you have been stripped bare of all your sins, purified and clothed in Christ's perfect innocence. And so now God fights for you. David's righteousness was found in his circumcision. Colossians 2.11 says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Where is the circumcision of Christ? That's the cross. Having been buried with him in baptism. And you you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The cross of Christ was David's circumcision. You see, circumcision is the fulfillment of Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, God told Abraham, take a knife and kill the sacrifice. Take a knife and cut. And by that cutting, God promised Abraham, I will be your shield and reward. By cutting, God promised Abraham, you will never be fully immersed. I will always protect and provide. And then in Genesis 17, God says, oh, take that knife again and cut your children. And now they're cut out of the land. They belong to me. And then in Genesis 22, he says, take that knife and finish the cutting. Cut off completely your only begotten son. And as Abraham was about to cut his son out of the land of the living, God said, stop. Here's a sacrifice in Isaac's place. I will provide the offering. And then at Mount Moriah, God took his only begotten son, and in cataclysmic, just the same cataclysmic, apocalyptic experience that David sings in this song happened at Christ. At the death of Christ, it grew dark, the gate, the Day grew dark. Terrifying darkness covered the earth. There was earthquakes. Tombs were open and men fled. The dead fled the tombs and buildings were shaken and temples were torn in pieces. And Christ cried out in cataclysmic terror because the wrath of God consumed him and he was fully immersed by the wrath of God, who came in terrifying terror to destroy his son, Christ, who became a curse, so that you could pass freely through his veil of tears and blood into a broad place that is eternal life. You see, the cross of Christ was the fulfillment of circumcision. God took the knife and finished the work. And Christ is the yes and amen of all God's promises. And David was clean by the blood of the lamb. His circumcision was Christ. And so he was set apart. Verse 31, this God, he says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. This is a baptism verse. This is a baptism verse. Take refuge in Christ. The word made flesh was crucified for us. His blood is the only perfect way. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many as you who were baptized into Christ, as many of you who were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. And there is neither now 
no Jew or Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female. You're all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to a promise. Put on Christ. In baptism, the Father strips you clean of all your sin and clothes you in the perfect righteousness, innocence, holiness, and satisfaction of Christ. And you are not your own. And nor are your little ones. And we still got a lot of song left. (laughs) I've made it halfway through. How much time do I have left? All right, brevity. Here's the Cliff Notes edition for the rest of the song. The rest of the song is about God's power and greatness. And God's power and greatness established David's kingdom. And so that kingdom, therefore, is international. Skipping all the way to verse 50. He says, David says, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. I will sing praises to your name and to the nations. You see, the kingdom promise is this. I will be God to you, your children, and those who are far off. This is the Abrahamic covenant signed and sealed and circumcision fulfilled. And baptism now in its place stands for all God's people. Verse 51, great salvation he brings to his king. And shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. And that eternal offspring is Christ. And anointed in his baptism, you have put on Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Yahweh's power. When you are baptized, you are baptized into Yahweh's power, which has established the kingdom. Now, it would be very interesting if the Bible showed that the entrance into the church came by way of water. It would be very interesting if it was Christ who first said it. Hmm. Interesting. Salvation is all about God, and so is your baptism. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.